Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. So for a while, my heart has been deeply stirred and I've been the combination of grieving, interceding, wondering, perplexed, and angry all at the same time, looking at the explosion of deception that has come into our culture. And it, it actually is hard for me to wrap my mind around some of it. And so just kind of in that state earlier this week and just praying into it. I mean, Angel Tree, we're going to give gifts to these children whose parents are in prison. Jesus has a tender heart for children. And there's an explosion of deception in our culture, which you guys know. With all this gender confusion junk, mutilating children like, I'm sorry, that's not just silly and dumb. It's evil. It's evil. And Jesus hates it. I can say that with confidence. He hates it. It's evil. So I'm not here to rail on it, but to help us maybe to think through. And so I'm kind of in that state of heart, pondering it and going, how can this possibly be? Somebody's telling me, there is no sun. There is no moon. There is no clouds. No, you're just deceived. No, no, I'm not deceived. I, I know there's gender. I raised seven children. We just yesterday had our 13th grandchild. God created male and female gender. And the devil is a deceiver and a liar to try to destroy people's lives. And I've just been grieving over that and praying into it. There's a lot of things. I, I mean, the amount of deception that has exploded in our culture, at least for me, it seems pretty quickly. I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. And as believers, what are we to do? And so Saturday morning, I'm kind of in that state of mind. And honestly, to be honest with you, like it, it, you ever have something get on you and you're just like, how do, how do I get this off of me, this burden? And you pray into it, but it like it won't go away. And, and Saturday morning, I woke up Diane had gone to be with our daughter who was having her baby. And um, so I got up and for a little while, and then I went back to bed. And when I woke up, I had this hymn of Martin Luther in my heart. Ever wake up with a song that just came to you out of nowhere? And it was, a mighty fortress is our God. And these words stuck out to me. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. We fight with the truth. We're fighting deception with truth. Martin Luther was a guy who lived his whole adult life with a contract on his head from the two most powerful people in the world at that time, the Pope and the Emperor. That doesn't seem like a lot of fun, but that's the way he lived because of his stand for truth. 
And the truth that he stood for, even through all of that, and he had his warts, if you've ever read about Martin Luther, you know, God can't really find people that don't have warts to use. So he just has to use us knuckleheads. That, that, so that's the real. So it's okay. You can recognize the warts and the, the way that people act as knuckleheads. Luther acted like a jackass sometimes. But God used him. He was that kind of pioneer that had to fight through the barrier and break through. And he was willing to do whatever because truth had lit a fire in his heart that he was not going to deny. And it burned and blazed and broke through even though he lived kind of under captivity his whole adult life. It caught fire and burned throughout Europe and the whole world. Because somebody had truth that burned in their heart and they wouldn't let it go or let it be snuffed out. I'm concerned for the church. Honestly, I, I read these Barna surveys. There's a reason I'm not on social media because I would be constantly triggered. And I, and I really don't need any help. So recent Barna survey. This is crazy to me. Here's the question, true or false, okay, that's asked on the survey. A person who is generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. True or false? Pentecostal churches now. I'm not talking about Catholic or mainstream Protestant. I'm talking about Pentecostal churches. 46% of people answered true to that. Where's our grasp on truth? This is the ploy of the enemy to try to destroy the church and its influence by us trading truth for something else. And here's the title of my message is The Battle for Truth. And I want to encourage us to be what God created us to be. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start there. We're going to get a good washing with the word today. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 15. I'm going to read through chapter 4 and verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 3, Paul's talking about the church and their gatherings together as a people and what that's supposed to look like. And he says in verse 15 of chapter 3, but in case I'm delayed, he's talking about coming to Timothy, in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how you ought to conduct, how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is, notice, notice the definition, notice the DNA of what the church is, because we need to grasp hold of this and never let it go. The household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Or other translations say the pillar and the guardian, the protector of truth. So God has given to the church an identity that he's deposited his truth to us. He's given it to us, and he says, now you be the steward of this truth in the culture. You guard it. You take care of it. You be solid so that nothing can break in and steal it and take it away from you. 
But let me read down through verse 2 because there's a but that comes in verse 1 of of chapter 4. Verse 16, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. This is the life of Jesus. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, taken up in glory. That is the essence of the gospel of Jesus right there. First word of verse 1 of chapter 4. This is right in the same flow of thought. But we've got this deposit of truth as the church. We're the protector of it. We're the proclaimer of it. We're the solid foundation that will never give it up no matter what. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences as with the branding iron. So here's the battle. Church, you have the truth that God has deposited in us to steward rightly, to proclaim, and to hold on to regardless of the cost. You know, Martin Luther wrote that hymn. He wrote 36 hymns, actually, which is... Something we probably don't know, but that was his most famous, A Mighty Fortress. And people began to sing that hymn when they were being led to being burned at the stake. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. They began to sing it in the Catholic masses, much to the chagrin of the priest. They tried to stop that. No. In the streets of the city, they began to sing it. it. It was fire that was spreading from somebody whose heart and soul burned with the truth and would not let it go because God had shown him and deposited inside of him the truth, and it was alive. That's what we do as believers. But the Spirit explicitly says there's going to be deceitful spirits. So the enemy, not being stupid, knowing the power of the truth to transform lives and cultures and hard hearts, he, the enemy says, I can't allow that to happen. So I'm going to send out a whole hordes of demons, and they're going to be my teaching demons. And so I'm going to send them into the newsrooms of the world. I'm going to send them into the college campuses. I'm going to send them into every place I can to write books on bestseller lists. And they're going to spew out, because they've got seared consciences, they're going to spew out whatever deception I want them to spew out to counteract the power and the potency of the truth to change lives and cultures. So he's got a whole army of deceiving spirits out there teaching. Demons are teachers. And there's all kinds of demons teaching in our culture today. And we need to recognize it and resist it with the truth. Notice he says, paying attention. That phrase in verse 1 that some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits. It, it has the idea of there's an attractiveness there. There's a lure there. It's something sounds good that pulls them towards the deception. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So the enemy has human mouthpieces just like God has human mouthpieces for his truth the enemy has lots of human mouthpieces for his deception and his delusion and lots of them are very well educated 
There's lots of doctors who are demon mouthpieces. I don't mean medical necessarily. Highly educated, right? But they're mouthpieces for demons. So, so here's the battle. This is the battle that we're in is the battle of truth, the battle for truth. And how are we going to deal with it? I was reading recently the book of Daniel again. And in the book of Daniel, one of Daniel's visions in chapter 8 is about the last times where the Antichrist rises up. And he's called the little horn. And chapter 8 of verse 12, it says this, the little horn, which is the Antichrist, listen to this language, will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. So the way that the Antichrist prospers when he comes is that he takes truth and he flings it to the ground. He tramples it. There is no truth anymore. There's just deception that reigns. Because he is the deceiver. And we know from the book of Revelation that the enemy dominates the whole world through his deception, right? He controls the world, mind, those who are not Christ, through deception. So that's his power. So how do we combat it and what do we do and how do we become warriors for the truth? Now we've got we to take our role. We've got to stand and take our position. We don't fight with carnal weapons. We don't firebomb people or shoot them down. We take the weapons of our warfare and we fight. We speak the truth. We pray and intercede in the Holy Spirit. And we take our, war, our spiritual war seriously. We're, we're not in peacetime. If, if we have a peacetime mentality... Like everything is good and we're just going to try to enjoy our lives, then we're, we're automatically on the road to fail. We're, we're in a war here. And listen, Jesus loves the children. He does not want to see this evil perpetrated on them and prosper. We can't control everything in the world, but we can control our own life being alive with truth. Come on, we need more Martin Luthers whose hearts burn with truth and who are willing to sacrifice everything for it. We, we need that. Flip back. Three things. This is my message. Three things we must do in this battle for truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. Again, speaking of the end times where deception is going to be most pronounced. Then that lawless one, this is verse 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Then that lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Can you say amen? amen. That is the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception, this is verse 10, with all the deception of wickedness, that's an important phrase, the deception of wickedness, for those who perish. Why do they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Our heart posture towards truth is not one of mental accepting and mental assent. 
It's one of passion. We embrace the truth. We love it. And Paul says here through the Holy Spirit that nobody who doesn't love the truth is even saved. And so that gets dulled by culture, right? We get beat down. We get pushed back by culture. Oh, don't say anything. Don't make yourself into a fool. Don't, don't want to get the frowny faces of people. Who cares? We're talking about eternal reality and the purposes of God. Come on. As a people of God, can we not stand up and let truth burn inside of us and not stop burning? Sorry, y'all. I'm fired up about this. We are the protector of the truth in the universe. We are the people who have the deposit of the truth of the gospel. And it's precious. And it's powerful. But only if it burns in our heart. And only if we partner with it. So we need to love the truth. Notice that phrase again in verse 10. With all the deception of wickedness. And then let's read verses 11 and 12. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. In order, listen, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. So here's the deal. Truth is there. The enemy always comes to offer you something to trade you for it. What is he trading for? The pleasure of wickedness. You can have unlimited sexual pleasure if you just give me the truth. You can have fame and fortune if you'll just give me the truth. Let's, let's, let's do a little trade. And people trade for pleasure all the time. The eternal truth of the gospel. And I want to tell you, it's the stupidest trade that's ever been made. So can I ask you, what do you trade for the truth in your own life? What do I trade for the truth in my life? I've traded it before. Have you? This is a common theme that people trade. They'll give up the truth, which we're stewards. We're supposed to be the guardians of it. Here, I'll trade it. Just give me more pleasure. Give me more money. Give me more temporal things in this life. No. John 18, I love Jesus standing before Pilate. Does he not amaze you, his total ability to navigate every situation with the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God Jesus. Standing before Pilate, he knows he's getting ready to be sentenced. He's going to be crucified. And he's standing seemingly as cool as a cucumber. And Jesus says to Pilate, I have come to testify of the truth. And everyone, notice this phrase, who is of the truth, hears my voice. There's, there's something called being of the truth. And I think it's the same thing as being a lover of the truth. And Jesus is saying, if you love the truth, you're going to hear my voice. I think a lot of times we want somebody, we want to have a prophetic word for somebody. You know, somebody give us a prophetic word, tell me what to do and whatever. And the problem is that we're stuck on we're not of the truth. We want to hear what we want to hear and we want to do what we want to do. Come on, y'all. 
I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I don't need encouragement. Like, um, he who is of the truth hears my voice. Honestly, if, if we get our heart in a place where we're praying, let me, let me just go off on a little tangent here. You're okay with that because that's what I do anyway. Um, one of the things that's helped me more uh, in my life and my, as a believer walking with Jesus and trying to understand what the Lord is saying to me and get guidance from when I'm not sure of something, I learned this from George Mueller. And George Mueller was a man of God who lived in Bristol, England. And over his lifetime, he raised by himself, asking anybody for money, 10,000 orphans. 10,000! I thought it was a big bill to feed seven. <laughs> He had five massive homes in Bristol, and over years, obviously, they cycled through. He not only raised them, fed them, and clothed them, but he also educated them. 10,000 orphans, and he, he had a conviction from the Lord never to ask anybody for money, and he never put it out there. People just found out about it. And so many times, if you read his book called Answers, of, Answers to Prayers, he sat down at the table with the orphans there at breakfast time and didn't have any food. And they sit down there and thank God for the food that he was about to provide. And time and time again, something would happen. He'd go outside, somebody left 50 gallons of milk on the doorstep and some food, some cheese and bread, whatever. Or they left a sack of money in his mailbox. Like that happened over and over again. So this is, this is a man of God that I would trust his track record quite a bit. He said, whenever I have a decision to make and I'm not sure what to do, here's what I do. Every day I take time, not all day, but every day for 30 days, I'll get before the Lord and I'll posture my heart before him and I'll say, Lord, I want you, I'm asking you to empty myself of my own self-will, of my own agenda, let it go out of my heart and replace my agenda with your agenda, put inside of me your desires and that's what I want to do. I want to do what you want me to do, but I'm not sure right now because there's all of these things swirling around. Anybody ever been there? He said, this is his testimony now, and I believe him. Never, he said, did I do that, but that in 30 days I always knew what to do. Every time. Because the problem is our own self-agenda gets in the way and clouds it, and we want to merge that with what God wants to do, and then we get confused. Anybody? That's just, that's just really solid advice, actually. Um, so I'll leave that with you. No extra charge. All right, number one, then, we need to love the truth. Y'all, I'm encouraging you. This, this, this word of God is so precious. You, you know, the enemy in Martin Luther's time kept the word of God out of the language of the people because the enemy knew how powerful the truth was when it burned in hearts. And Luther translated scripture, and there's other translators of scripture, and they got burned at the stake, a lot of them. There was families that taught their children the Lord's Prayer in English during that same time period where they all got burned at the stake, including the children, because they learned the Lord's Prayer in English. They paid a heavy price. The enemy was trying to keep the truth from them. And now, how does he do it with us? I've got 200 Bible translations in my library. I've got a bunch of them. How, how does he work on us now? He distracts us. Oh, yeah, you've got a treasure there, but how about this game? Oh, yeah, you've got a treasure there, but how about this? Are you kidding me? 
I tried to tell the students in Maranatha, like, you don't have time to study. I'm like, you've got a treasure buried in your backyard and you won't give 10 stinking dollars to buy a shovel at Lowe's? You're an idiot. We have a treasure. It's alive. It's powerful. And I want to tell you something. The enemy knows it. And anything that he can do to get us distracted from that, he will. And he's got lots of tricks in his bag. Anybody ever been distracted, right? Hello, the Lord's been talking about the pruning stuff in our life, and that's a good thing. That's his mercy. If we were all in with this word, it would be like a nuclear reaction. Such power be produced. 2 Timothy chapter 3. How y'all doing, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 3. These passages that I'm reading here have marked my life. And the Lord has stirred them up again recently just because of the times that we live in. And I'm re-upping my passion to let my heart be kindling wood for this fire. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and we're going to read down through verse 4 of chapter 4, straight through. Chapter divisions, if you didn't know, weren't put in the scriptures until the 1500s. So that wasn't original. We did that for convenience, and I think it's helpful. But don't get sidetracked by a big number 4, because this was all one letter. Verse 16 of chapter 3. All scripture. Will you say all with me? All scripture is inspired. That means breathed out by God. So here's the reality. The word of God contains the very essence of God's DNA in it. That's what it means to be breathed out. When he breathed into man, he breathed in him the breath of life and he became a living soul. So if he breathed his breath in this world and we breathe it into ourselves, what's happening? What's happening? Life from God is coming into our soul. It's producing life because his breath is in his word. It's inspired. It's breathed by God. It's profitable for teaching to tell us what to think, for reproof, to give us the stop signs when we need it. No, no. For correction to tell us, no, don't go that way, go this way, and for training in righteousness to mold and to shape our character. How many want to be molded and shaped by God? I've got good news for you. You got one, right? If you don't have one, come to me and I'll give you one of mine. It's profitable so that the man of God may be adequate, complete, Equipped for every good work. Keep reading because this is the same letters. No stop. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. I, I don't know of any other more sobering, more weighty charge than this in all of Scripture. 
I'm solemnly charge you. And by the way, that phrase solemnly charge is used eight times in the book of Acts to describe how they preached the gospel. It's exactly the same Greek phrase. I solemnly charge you. What does that mean? We're talking, this is serious. We're all in. This is gut-wrenchingly serious. This is the truth of God. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. This word has eternal consequences tied to it. By his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2. Preach the word. This word preach is the word to herald. It doesn't mean to mumble. It means to go into a town and say, Hear ye the command and the decree of the king. It's that kind of weighty. That's what the apostles did throughout the book of Acts. They came with a weighty, serious, eternally weighted proclamation. Be ready in season and out of season, whether it is convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Notice, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Did you know you had to endure sound doctrine? Why would you have to endure something? Sometimes it cuts. Sometimes it prunes. Sometimes it meddles with your whole life. Have you ever had words that came to you and you're like, no, no. They won't endure sound doctrine. Notice, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves, teachers, in accordance with their own, what? Desires. What are they trading for the truth? Tell me what I want to hear. I want, I want you to make me feel good. In that same Barna survey, the number one goal of people in our culture by a large percent was to feel good about themselves. So tell me lies as long as it's, no, 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 no. If our theology becomes man-centered, it's automatically in error and deception. The theology of this book is radically Christ-centered. You and I were created through him and by him and for him. And every breath that we take is through him and by him and for him. And we live because of him. And he died and rose again so that we who live would not live for ourselves but for him who died and rose again for us. It's radically Christ-centered. Does that mean God doesn't love us and care for us? No. It doesn't mean that. It just means that we don't seek our own way we seek what Christ wants. We want to give him what he desires and because that's why we were made, for his pleasure and for his purposes. There, there's a line there that gets crossed a lot where theology becomes ear-tickling. Tell me something that makes me feel good. I like things that make me feel good too. 
We all do. But it doesn't mean it's truth. We measure truth by this word. So number two is to boldly speak the truth. Preach the word. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, verse 4, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That is deception. What did they trade for? Oh, just give me my own desires. Tell me what all God will give me in this deal if I come in and bow before him. False theology. If, if we promise people when you come to Jesus, he's going to give you everything and fix all your stuff, and that's the reason that you're coming, that's, we didn't tell them the gospel. We told them a lie. And if, if you make converts by preaching to them a God that isn't real and true, you haven't made converts, but you've made deluded people who won't follow Christ. Y'all are quiet. This is true. And, and honestly, in the, in the church and in the modern church, we, we have so many tears growing with the wheat in the church, not because they're going to happen anyway, which they are, but because we've invited them in and go, all tares, welcome here. Come on in. You don't have to love to Jesus or bow the knee to him as Lord. You don't have to obey or follow what he says. You just come in here and just reap all the benefits and we'll just bless you and love you and God's just gonna give you everything your little heart desires and you don't have to do anything. No, that's a lie. And those people are the ones that Jesus said, many are gonna stand before me in that day and say, hey, we ate with you lunch and you taught in our streets and we cast out demons and prophesied and he's going to say, I never knew you. You who work wickedness. Deception always offers a trade for the truth. Their own desires. The pleasures of wickedness in Second Thessalonians 2. You know, I looked recently, there's, there's several warnings in the New Testament letters where it warns believers, don't be deceived. And, and the reason is why? Because a lot of people are deceived there. And so if Paul is putting out warnings in the New Testament letters, don't be deceived about this. Be careful. Make sure you're awake. Don't be deceived because a lot of people, multitudes of them are deceived right here. And there's 10 or 12 of those direct statements in Scripture of don't be deceived. So the way that I'm wired, I look them all up, put them on a piece of paper. Put them in categories. What does that look like? What are the things that he's warning us to not be deceived about as believers? And the interesting thing is the vast majority of them, at least 80%, have to do with taking sin lightly. Oh, don't worry about it. Grace will cover. Grace will cover abundantly if there's true repentance. And repentance is not just this, it's this. So can I just read you a few? I've got her 
hop in there on the screen. But I just want to read you these passages. You're familiar with them, but I want you to hear them right after each other. I'm only going to read four of them, so it's still a little bit long. But, but just listen, and if you see them on the screen, first one, Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Last time I preached, I mentioned this. So important. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That's a law of God. For the one who sows to his own flesh, from the flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Well, brother, I want to reap eternal life, but I'm still going to sow to the flesh every day. No, you're not. God's not mocked. You're deceived. Y'all, if this is your first time, I apologize. (laughs) First Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Deception everywhere out in our culture. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. Nor idolaters which includes the greedy, Paul said. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. And Bible scholar David Garland makes a strong case that that's talking about the two different um, partners in homosexual relationships, the female component and the male component. I think that's right. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't, don't be deceived. If that is a lifestyle that is not transformed by the power of the cross, the end is eternal punishment. Ephesians 5, 3 through 6. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk. Oh, wow. That's what they always told me to do in in Bible college. This is how you, you get a crowd. You just be silly and do crazy things and you get people's attention. And really? Really? Or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolatry has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Lots of empty words out there deceiving. Go, oh, it's okay. We're all weak. I get it. I'm totally weak. Like I could, I feel like I got an award for weakness. <laughs> for real. I mean, my whole, my whole Christian life from parenting and child raising and all that was totally out of a paradigm of weakness. The Lord's not afraid of our weakness when we come and submit it to him and go, I'm totally weak. You're my strength and you're my grace. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes. That is a present tense. It's coming. It's moving. And it's coming upon the sons of disobedience. This is terrifying. But this is the Bible. 1 John 2, verses 7 through 10. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. This is so, so good. I want to shout this 
at a, gra- uh, a false grace convention. I, w- I want to shout it. I might not come out alive, but I'm okay with that. I still want to shout it. Make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, his DNA, people, his DNA abides in us. And you cannot sin because he's born of God. Something happened when we got a new heart and a new spirit, and the Spirit of God lives in us, and he put the DNA of God in us, which hates sin. Because sin is all about God. It's really not even about us or our collateral damage. That's just secondary. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, practice it, not say it, practice it, is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Y'all, that's just four of them. There's four more that are just like that that I could read, but just for time I'm not. Why warn about that? Because that is the delusion that the enemy spreads like cotton candy everywhere. Oh, just take this. It's really going to be fine. It's okay. No, it's not okay. I can, that drive, here's the thing. Seeing things like that should drive us to the cross. Should drive us to our knees saying, Jesus, what you did is so powerful and amazing. I need a new heart. Because my heart is bent in all the wrong directions. Come, make me a new person. Can I read you an edgy quote from John Piper? I do, you know, you get quotes because you want somebody else to say what you really want to say, but you don't want to take the heat for it. So I, I want to say this, but John Piper said it, so I'm going to let him take the heat. Why is it that people can become emotionally and morally indignant over poverty and exploitation and prejudice and abortion and the infractions of religious liberty and the manifold injustices of man against man? Okay, now he's an advocate for pro-life, for racial reconciliation, like in a big way. So you, so you, need, to, you need to know that. He's not, he's not blowing smoke here. He's given his life and taking a lot of heat for making stands, evangelizing Jews in Minneapolis where his church was. He got lamblasted in the paper every single week. He's like, this is what we do. We're Christians. We evangelize everybody. So we get all bent out of shape about those things, which we should. But here's the, here's the paradox that is, is not okay. And yet... We feel little or no remorse or indignation or outrage that God is disregarded, disbelieved, disobeyed, dishonored, and thus belittled by millions and millions of people in the world every day. And the reason is sin. And that is the ultimate outrage of the universe. Every sin is ultimately towards God. It says to God, I don't care about you. I'm going to get what I want. I don't care about your rules. I don't care about your desires. I don't care about who you are. I don't care about your glory. I care about me. And if you can serve me, okay. But if not, get out. 
That's what sin does all the time. No, no, my sexual pleasure is more important than you. I don't care why you made me the way you made me or what your purposes were. I don't care what you say. You get out and leave me alone. I want, if you can serve me, okay, but if not, that's the heart of what sin is. And it's so wicked and evil that David, he had one of his best and most loyal friends killed, stole his wife, slept with her, got her pregnant. Then he had to have the the friend killed to try to hide it. And when he finally awakened to his deception and delusion because the prophet Nathan came to him and said, you're that man, you deserve to die. David repented in Psalm 51. And here's how he starts. Against you and you alone have I sinned. How is that so? Because ultimately all sin is against God. It's against his character. It's against his created order. It's against his glory. It's against his honor. It's against everything that he is. And we don't see it that way. Like, to Piper's point, I think this is really true. We're outraged by a lot of things, which I am. I am too. Trust me. I got arrested twice for abortion protests. I'm outraged at it. But the issue is, in, in my own life and in the world in general, does it grieve us more that God is spat upon, dishonored, belittled than the fact that we are hurting? Our collateral damage comes, it does come from sin, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the eternal insulting of a holy, perfect, glorious God who's never done anything but good. If, if we could see sin that way, our life would change. Sin is deadly, and we cannot play with it. You might not have heard that preached in a little while, but you probably needed to hear it. Number three, live the truth. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, we're going to look at two verses here, and then we're going to land the plane, Lord willing. Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 25. So verse 15, you're probably very familiar with if you've been around Heart of the Father very long. But speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. So you've heard that before. I I want just to point this out, that the word speaking there is actually not in the Greek text. And so the idea might be a little bit broader than that. I think speaking is definitely included. Let me just read you the Amplified Bible. I think it it does a good job of translating the, the text here. Rather, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things. Speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. So good. And then verse 25, therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
Speak the truth. So here's the point. The atmosphere of truth in a body is like the good soil with good pH and good fertilizer and it causes things to flourish. It causes people to flourish in their walk with God and to grow where truth is the soil and the atmosphere. So he's saying, in your culture, build a culture of truth where truth is highly honored and you won't trade it for anything. Buy truth and do not sell it, is Proverbs 23. Don't sell it. Don't trade it for anything. It's worth more than anything you could trade it for. And the devil's offering you junk. I told somebody the other day, dude, you're trading your Mercedes for a stick. What are you doing? Live the truth. Psalm 15 too. Psalm 15, if you recall, says, who may ascend to your holy hill, Lord, and dwell with you. And one of the things that is said in verse 2 of chapter 15 of Psalms is, he who speaks truth in his heart, he's one of those who are of the truth. He's one of those who love the truth. He speaks truth in his heart. And then Psalm 51, where David is repenting again, verse 6, the Lord marked me with this verse really hard. I want to say he stabbed me with it, but, but he marked me with it. David says, you desire, Lord, truth in the inward parts. That means how I operate inside where nobody sees and hears. You want truth to be there. You want it to be honest. You don't want me to come and go, oh, yes, Jesus is my, but that's not really what you think. Everything else is more attractive. That's not okay. He wants truth in the inner parts. When I was in business, I try to tell all of my fails if I can. I had a landscape business. And I had a large customer. It was half of my business. Half of my revenue was from one company. And I had a job and they wanted me to bid it. And long story short, on the bid, there was a couple items on there that I lied about. <laughs> your elder lied. I wasn't your elder then. So, um, I rationalized it. I wouldn't have called it a lie, but the Lord did. And so here's what happened. My customer called me out on it, and they fired me. And I was in the process of building our house, and I lost half of my income in one day. I was distressed. So I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. He said, no, you lied. I said, that wasn't a wise thing. No, you lied. He said, what I want is truth in the inward parts. I want you to be honest about what's going on in your heart when you do things. Are you being truthful or not? And I finally owned that. I lied. It's hard for me to get those words out because I thought, I'm a, I'm a godly man. I love Jesus. But he made me say it. <laughs> I lied. And then he took me to Proverbs 19.22. And it says there, 
It's better to be a poor man than a liar. I'm like, really? I said, well, okay. I repented. I said, Lord, I'm in your hands. I mean, there's nothing that I can do. I'm guilty as charged. Thank you for correcting me. It's your mercy. Can, can, you, can you agree with me that this is merciful for us to get corrected here rather than when we stand before Jesus? That, that's so, so merciful. And he corrected me hard. I was pretty much devastated. But when I repented, I had peace. I'm like, okay, I'm in your hands. I see my sin and I repent of it. I turn away from that. And the Lord, in his great mercy, brought in other business, uh, totally unexpected. Big projects came in just out of the blue, so, so to speak. He just, he just blessed. And I'm not saying that he'll always do it. He doesn't have to. But we, we made it along fine. And then about a year and a half later, that customer came back to me and said, hey, we want you back. This is mercy. This is mercy on a complete knucklehead and hypocrite. It wasn't good, but no, it was great. <clears throat> uh, no, no, for real. It, so y'all, listen, here's, here's the thing. If we're going to be people of truth, we have to be that person on the inner person. So we don't Say one thing in somebody's face and then we go behind and talk to somebody else and say something totally different because the Lord sees. He wants there to be truth. If there's something to be said to somebody, really it's okay to sit down with them and say, hey, I love you, but like what are you doing? Why are you acting like such a jackass? It's really okay to do that in love with. They know if you have some relational equity with somebody. It's the most healthy thing in the world. And the people in my life that have been the most blessing for me are two, twofold. One is ones who actually came and corrected me and said, what are you doing? And I'm like, Wee. and then the Lord's like, no, what's going on in here? That's what I'm talking about. You can rationalize, you can justify, you can put out all the reasons out there that seem to sound good to everybody else, but here's the deal. God knows, and you can't get away from him. He knows what's going on inside, and like he calls you on it when he points to that, like he's not going to take that another answer. He doesn't believe our explanations, because he's all-knowing. This is so good. We are naked and exposed with him that we have to do, talking about his word and Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, we stand totally exposed. He knows everything about our heart and our motives. And that's all important to the Lord. So, here's the call. I'm calling us as a body as we move forward. There, there's so many ways that we don't speak truth to each other. And I have nobody in mind. I'm actually just before the Lord like... Examine my life. I'm not a big navel gazer where I'm going to sit there and try to dig something up. But, but the, the truth is, we live in a culture that is filled with lies and exaggerations. And exaggerating is lying, is it not? So when we exaggerate and embellish a story so it makes us sound good, what are we doing? Like the Lord's going, you liar. That's not even true. 
Why do we do that? Because we want to look better in the eyes of people. It's our fear of man and not fearing God. When we fear God, we recognize that he sees everything anyway. So why try to make a different story? It's just, it's just futile. He'll get at it if he wants to. He can make you look like a total fool if he wants to. That's not usually his way. He gives us a chance to repent. But let, let, let us be people who love the truth, who speak the truth. I don't mean in harsh, fleshly kinds of ways. I don't mean that. But stand for the truth. I have a friend who went into a hardware store one time. And the guy behind the counter cuts like a sailor, if you know what I mean. Every other word was the F-bomb and whatever. And he just stood there and listened. And when he finally stopped, he said, Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Glory to God. Jesus is good. He's the Lord. He's amazing. And the guy says, oh, you must be a Christian. He said, yeah, I just wanted to get equal time. You were praising your, you were praising your God and I'm praising mine. Come on. Speak the truth and live the truth. Can we be those people who let the Lord search the inner parts because that's where he wants truth. He wants us to be real, authentic, and genuine and not a pretender because deception like that always leads somewhere. We're trading something that's infinitely powerful and precious for something that is absolutely worthless. Can I, can I tell you the praise of men is absolutely worthless? It only took a few days for the same ones who were shouting Hosanna to shout, crucify, kill him. They're so fickle. People are so fickle. God's approval is all that matters. Amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.